0: Welcome back to episode number 126 of The NP Dude. This is Jeff, The NP Dude, giving nurse practitioners a voice. It's everybody's voice out there. I want to hear from you. I want to know what's bugging you. If it's bugging you, it's bugging me. It better be bugging everybody else. Email me, Jeff at the NPDude.com. We're at 2360 something on Facebook. We're getting there. I've been kind of silent still. Not really chiming in much. I really don't like chiming in that much on Facebook anymore. It's it's a lot of the same questions, and it's kind of degraded. It seems like every Facebook group that ever gets created degrades once you hit a certain mass, critical mass of, of number of people, then it turns into um, like our Facebook groups in particular. I see a lot of stuff that it's obvious that it's not a nurse practitioner, and they're just trying to get free advice, and I uh, I get frustrated by that. So the vetting process has to be better, and I'm not sure. How to do it, and I'm not volunteering to do it, so I'm not going to complain too much. But I think that it's it's a big part of why you see these Facebook groups degrade, and eventually there's another one will pop up, and then you know the vetting happens good for a while, and then it falls apart and they turn into crap again. But the the Facebook groups are kind of blah right now, and not a lot going on. The one thing I saw in there, and I'll, I'll talk about it in a second, was uh, the a real politically charged troll post about guns gun control in America and all that stuff, and I'll get into that a little bit here in a second, in the wake of the school shooting, and, and I, I try to reserve um, to keep to keep political debates out of my podcast, because in reality, it doesn't help, all it does is divide, and it feeds the fire, and that's going to be something I want to talk about here in a little bit. The, um, the first thing I want to talk about or how do we support the show? Sorry, I'm screwing up my own housekeeping, right? Um, Housekeeping for today. We have, um, I guess, a 23, I think 63 likes on Facebook. We have, um, I think, 46... Ratings on iTunes, although I haven't been able to log in recently to see if there's any comments, so there might be some critiques in there. I don't know if there are. Somebody, let me know. I'll I'll get to them eventually. But uh, I appreciate the ratings. I appreciate any comments you guys have. The one thing I haven't seen in a long time was anybody leaving legitimate comments on my Facebook page threads. So at below every show on my website. Now I know a lot of people do iTunes. And it's not convenient, so I get that. That's okay. But if you go to my website and you pull up through my through my site itself there's always a comment box at the bottom you can actually just put a comment in and uh, leave a comment it does you can use like a handle you don't have to use your name you can make up your own password type of thing username password and um, what it does is it allows you to leave a comment right there for everybody so if you're like nope Jeff screwed up this is what it really is and you want to put links or you want to explain something the way you see it by all means it's open source I will always approve any legitimate non spam comments so I'm getting stuff in Spanish from people, and you can tell when they're they're obvious, like, screw up, like, spam comments, and so I don't approve those, because I don't want to clog up my website with junk, but anybody having comments, put them there, I don't care, I'll, I'll post them, I promise, I will, even if it's negative to me, I don't care, I'll post it, the, um, Facebook, um, shares are going pretty strong we're getting decent amount of hits through the website we're getting decent amount of hits still I'm getting people all the time that are emailing me saying hey uh, you know I've been listening for a while and really like what you do appreciate it and that's awesome I love that feedback but I want to hear questions from you guys I want to know what's bugging you the um the one I got today came from somebody that um has commented before newer chronic intractable and, and um And the question was, is that they they had a student that came into their, to their practice that was, you know, this, this this guy was a preceptor and um, student was talking about purchasing equipment overseas when, when they get done, she gets done and starting their own practice and getting equipment for like derm stuff. That's very expensive FDA approved equipment, but you can get from China. That's not FDA approved like remodel, remake type thing where they reverse engineer it, and using that and what kind of implications that would be as a a liability standpoint (laughs) if you're using non-FDA approved equipment. And I would extend that and say non-FDA approved equipment, medicines, devices, anything like that. And the, the question of the day is, what's your liability if you say, you know what, I can buy half the price, you know, why should I pay all this money? I can get it cheap from China, brand new, for half the price of a used one uh, piece of equipment. I'm screwed. Uh, screw it. I'm going to just go with it. Well, the question is, is that if, if something happens when you are doing your, your job and you are the one that selected the, the equipment and utilized the equipment, you have an obligation using the standard of care that we've talked about so many times before, what would the reasonably prudent uh, provider do in the same or similar circumstances? And I think that you would say that most reasonably prudent providers wouldn't chance using equipment that came from China that wasn't FDA approved. I think it's pretty obvious you, you got to use the stuff that's approved now let's let's change it slightly instead of talking about a piece of equipment because equipment might be fine you may, you may have no problems with it it's a perfectly functional piece of equipment but let's just change it to a non-fda approved medicine so say you're doing just herbals in your okay here's a great one i sell a plant called comfrey i do it on the internet it's a homesteader type plant, and they sell it, and people want to pay a lot of money for little root cuttings, so I'll sell it to them, I don't care. And it's a great plant, it's got a lot of herbal uses, but it's not something I would use in and of itself all the time by itself. It's a supplement, you do it to, to augment whatever it is you're doing with traditional medicine. That's the way I look at herbals. But let's say you were to start ingesting the roots of this plant and you are making recommendations that oh, it'll improve your you know, anti-inflammatory and all these extra things and you start telling people to start eating free root and they end up blowing out their liver because it's got alkaloids that are toxic to the liver. Is it just as negligent as using a piece of equipment that's not approved? It's really the standard of whatever it is you would do as a reasonably prudent provider. That's the standard and the threshold that I would look at. Now, that's the civil case. That's the case of, you know, I hurt somebody and that person sues me. Now, the FDA, the, <laughs> they may decide that, you know what, you're not supposed to be using non-FDA approved equipment for commercial purposes. Now, if you want to buy it and put it in your basement, and use it on yourself, that's that may be perfectly fine. It's like using herbals, right? But as soon as you start prescribing things and doing treatments with it, now it's in a commercial setting, now now the FDA may want to come knock on your door with guns and the FBI and, you know, want to take papers away from you and, and you in handcuffs with your shirt over your head. I, it, it's not worth it to me. <laughs> it's just not worth a couple thousand bucks for any piece of equipment. What I would do is I would either rent it until I could buy it, or I would do other things that were less expensive to me as overhead costs until I put enough coin away that I could buy the damn thing or get a loan for it, or some way, some way to, you know, if you know you're gonna get, make money off of a piece of equipment, go get a friggin' business loan. You can get an SBA loan. Small Business Administration will help you get loans. There's, there's, I just got a credit card application in the mail as a provider, this is crazy, right? $250,000 limit for any piece of equipment in my practice. It was specific for like, NPs in business so, you know, I don't know how they get my name, but I got this thing just 2 days ago. Go get the piece of equipment that you need that's FDA approved. That way there's no question later on that you used something. Now say say you did hurt somebody and you did everything you said you did right, but the equipment equipment went faulty. Who's to blame there? Some fly-by-night Chinese company that you can't get you can't get service a process to. Good luck. Good luck suing somebody in China. He, he, as a provider or as a patient, it's not going to happen. I mean, you'd have to be a class action, and you'd have to try to find the people. And oh my God, what a nightmare that would be! Trying to find a lawyer that would be willing to do that would be even harder. So the question comes up too: is you know who's at fault here if something goes wrong? And in trying to prove that. In court can be difficult. There's this rule called res ipsa loquitur, and it's and it's a medical malpractice type issue, but it's not specific. It can it happens primarily in med mal, but but it can happen in others. And it's basically where the plaintiff has no way of possibly knowing who the who caused the, the fault, so the burden shifts to the defendant to prove that they didn't screw up. And I could see this as a perfect open door for use of raise loquitur where, you know, this plaintiff was, you know, under some, some kind of mild sedation because it's a slightly painful procedure or whatever. And they don't, they're, they're not in a position to say, you know, I don't know what he did because I was out. <laughs> he knocked me out. I was completely vulnerable. So then the, the burden of all the proof, which is usually the other way around, usually the, the plaintiff has to prove that you did something wrong. Now the defendant has to provide that they didn't do it wrong. That's a scary place to be for me. Why would you open yourself up to that liability? Really dumb, in my opinion, for a couple thousand bucks. Stupid. Dumb, dumb. Plus, other implications. The, um, you know, and then I want to kind of talk about some comparative fault stuff because, let's do that now because it kind of blends in here. Comparative fault would be possibly an issue that you would have as a defendant if you used faulty equipment. So you would have to ask yourself, how much of the fault was just my bad selection of equipment versus my negligence of actually doing a procedure wrong, right? Or was there a manufacturer's defect in the equipment? And in tort liability, I spent, I don't know, probably a month and a half doing just products liability was in torts two, I remember it was in spring semester, and it it was... um, it was a lot of stuff, and it was a lot of um, a lot of very specific cases, and you sometimes don't know how they're going to rule. You just kind of don't know where, which way they're going to go on those types of cases because products liability. If it's a, if it's a product that's really needed, like a medication, they may overlook some of the liability because you know the the harm isn't outweighed by the benefit, or it is outweighed by the benefit. See what I'm saying? So it can be very difficult, especially for courts when they're like, well, this thing's saving people's lives and one went defective. Think of an AED, right? Say you had a defective AED that didn't save somebody's life and they get sued. Well, think of all the lives that they do save. So how, how much would you, you know, the person was going to probably die anyways. Maybe it would have saved them. Maybe it wouldn't have. Is that liability there? Yeah, it's liability, but you have to weigh, you know, what's the potential harm. So, I mean, it gets more sticky than just a, you ran into me with your car and you broke my bumper. So comparative fault is this, this rule of law that comes into play sometimes where you have multiple defendants and you have to compare, and the plaintiff as well gets thrown in the mix, and you add up all of the damages, and then you say, you know, there's a million dollars in damages to this individual. It's clear that they have a million dollars in damages. That's easy to prove, but we have, you know, a bunch of people that were all mixed in together that all made some bad decisions, and because of that, we're going to allocate of the million dollars, you know, maybe they're equally, you know, at fault, $333,000 is going to go to one... Defendant, and same thing for another defendant, and then you know the plaintiff gets three hundred and thirty thousand jammed on them too, so their award goes down by that amount. So comparative fault exists in some states. I'm pretty sure, yeah, Ohio is a comparative fault state. I'm not going to relook it up, but they're comparative fault. At least they were. Um, that's not to be confused with contributory negligence. It's a slightly different. It's similar. Similar nature, but not the. It's not the same thing. Contributory negligence is if the defendant. um, Think of. um, Yeah, I think of skateboarders when I think of contributory negligence. Skateboarders that go, you know, in California, they go, you know, break into people's properties and they skate in their empty pools, right? And they, you know, spray paint them all up and they do the half pipes out of their their pools, right? So, what if the um, property owner didn't have a lock on the gate? Well, maybe that's. They could have put a bigger lock or a bigger fence, and they tried to do the best they could to keep kids out. Um, But the kids break the lock, they run in, they start skateboarding, somebody falls and breaks their neck and dies. Whose fault is it? So you might say, Well, you didn't put a lock and you didn't have a fence, and so you are negligent for keeping the kids out. But at the end of the day, these kids, you know, shouldn't have been there. They knew better. They, you know, they kind of. They, they knew their, they, the potential of getting hurt, and they still did it anyways. And so there was a contributory component to it from the plaintiff or plaintiff's family. If they're dead. Can't be the plaintiff. They're dead. So that's that's kind of what contributory negligence is. You contributed to the negligence of your own self. Whereas comparative false, slightly different mindset. Um, and the, the only reason I think that's important is because if you have multiple people that you're working with you know, multiple professionals, and something goes sideways on, on this, you're all going to get named, and even though the award is high, you may not get nailed with all of it, but you might get nailed with some of it, if you contributed to some of the negligence. Now, if you were the voice of reason, screaming at the top of your lungs and charted all of it, then hopefully that'll get you out of it. It pushes the liability. I see liability as um, the game hot potato, all right? I don't want any of that potato on my plate. I want to give that whole damn thing away every time I can. So when I do a referral to somebody, uh, my philosophy is, you know, I don't know what to do with this person, and if something's really bad with them, I don't want that liability because I'm doing the best I can, and I am recognizing that there's a problem, and I can't fix it. i got to get you to the right place. Here, here's your hot potato. And then that, that professional needs to take it and treat it the same way. And if you know how to open the thing up and put sour cream and chives on it, you get to eat it. <laughs> it's your hot potato. Deal with it. But otherwise you, you you gotta you gotta pass the buck a little bit. And and you have to document why you're doing it, when you're doing it, and you have to you have to show sense of urgency sometimes if it's urgent. And that way you can you can show that in court. It's a great way of doing it. And I'll see somebody, I had an individual that had a giant mass in their abdomen. Sense of urgency. <laughs> My ears perked up a little bit, right? All right, we're going to call now and we're going to get you an appointment first available and you're going to take it and I document all that. And then I document the fear of what it is. I explain exactly why I'm putting in this person why I'm literally the one calling to uh, another specialist or to a specialist to get somebody in emergently to get seen and why I'm you know calling right now to schedule CT scans or ultrasounds or whatever you want to use whatever's appropriate you gotta chart that stuff you can't just assume that, oh, well, because I, I put the order in, it shows a sense of... No, you, you put it in and you document it. That way, when if you get sued or if you're in a deposition, you can say, look, I, I explained to this individual immediately my biggest fears and concerns for this person and that we needed to get them immediately to this to right people and get some pictures to see exactly what it is. It very well could have been absolutely benign and no problem, but we need to get them into the right place right now. And I documented that. Yes, very serious, very emergent. I was very concerned for them. I expressed that concern because I wanted them to take it serious. And then that way, when they don't show up for their appointment, or they blow it off, or you know whatever, you know, you, and then you make a phone call and say, "Look, I saw a notice. You didn't go. Why did you not go? You need to go. This needs to get done." So my staff gets frustrated with me because I make them make phone calls because I'm in with patients, and I'm like, I, "Can you please call them?" and see why they didn't go, and they're like, well, who cares, it's their responsibility, well, it is their responsibility, but I'm trying to prove in the chart that I'm trying to help this individual, so it's a, I'm pushing that hot potato back onto the patient, come on, what are you doing, giving their hot potato back to him. but it's, it's all, it's all about record, you got to have a good record to do it, it's work, it takes a lot of time, it takes a lot of energy, and it takes a lot of diligence, because it's easy when you're tired to just, say, ah, screw it, but at least we tried, that's all you can say. Now, if I try three times and I send a letter and they don't respond, then I'm assuming that they've gone to a different provider and they don't like me. But I, and then I send them a, a discharge, say, look, we've tried to help you with this multiple times, we're not hearing from you, we're gonna discharge you because I don't want your hot potato back on my plate. And that absolves you with a liability. It kind of, well, it doesn't always, but it, it at least pushes it in the right direction, gets it away from you. So that's, that's the, the comparative fault That's my hot potato analogy I like it <laughs> I don't care if you people do or not But I like it Alright I'm an Irish You <laughs> gotta throw potatoes Somebody just cut me off D Jerk what? Alright So the second thing This is a politically charged debate And I'm gonna unpoliticize As much as possible A political debate Which is gonna be almost impossible Shootings happen It's a travesty, um, sad, and whenever I hear that it happens ever, it's a sad day, it it just is, do I cry for these personal individuals, no, I don't, because I don't know them, but does it make me think of them, for sure, and do I wish their families the best, yes, and do I try to put myself and think about what would I feel if that was my family member or a loved one or a friend or a neighbor that, that just died. And I try to think of that, and it, and it, it, it's, it's sad. It really is. That I think we can all agree on. So let's start with what we agree on. That's that. The second thing is, you're gonna want to look at, or you're gonna, you're gonna be force fed, is guns are bad. If we got rid of guns, this wouldn't happen. And I think we can all agree that mass casualty incidents aren't just with guns, and that's an NRA narrative. And I used to belong to the NRA, and I don't anymore because I think that they're too. Con- they they follow the conservative, um, the the Republican, not conservative because I'm com- somewhat conservative, libertarian. All small letters. I'm not a political affiliated person, but if you were to ch- if you were to take guns away you would decrease the opportunity for criminals to get them i get that but they would still have them there's 350 million guns in america let that sink in there's more guns in america than there are people and even if you were to stop production today you know i have family heirloom guns in my in my gun case that are over 100 years old that are just as functional as the day they came out came out of the box so taking away guns um or limiting their production or those types of things I, I don't necessarily think is going to be a functional way of stopping gun violence in America what we have and I think everybody would agree on is is a culture of violence and um a culture of sense of, of um, sensationalizing issues. So it took four days for me to know that there was a gun sh- a shooting in Florida. Because I don't watch the TV. I don't watch the news anymore. I don't care. It came up on Facebook, and I'm like, oh, there must have been another shooting. Because it sensationalizes it. It gets everybody all fired up. There was you know, a bunch of kids in my neighborhood and five kids arrested in the next ta- town over three days, four days after this happened. That's how I actually heard about the shooting was, it was all this stuff was going on in their local schools. All these threats that were not real threats. It was just idiot kids doing stupid stuff, trying to mimic what was going on. And they want to they, they want to follow after that. they want to copycat so we sensationalize this stuff and I think that's a problem but I really think we have just a cultural divide amongst all of us that we do not have a place of understanding other people we, we, are, we are told we have to be tolerant of other people but yet when when you don't agree with me my tolerance is that you don't agree with me I'll be tolerant with you until you don't agree with me, and then I'm not going to be tolerant of you. And yet we're forced to do that. So it's a confusing message. It doesn't make sense to me. I like discord. I like us to to be able to say, you know what, I don't agree with you. And that's okay. I, I guarantee you there's a ton of people out there right now that don't agree with me. And I'm cool with it. And I probably don't agree with you. But we probably agree on more than we disagree on. And so it's not a gun debate. That's what I get frustrated about. And it's and it's if you're watching the 6 o'clock news, both the, the left-leaning and the right-leaning media outlets are going to say it their way so that they can pander to the people that are sheeple and follow the arguments on whatever side it is that they believe. Guns are bad, need to be taken away, or guns are awesome, and I love the Second Amendment. And that's not the discussion we need to be having. The discussion we need to be having is how do we... How do we make our society respect each other again? And with the, with social media where you can hide behind it, I mean, if you've ever looked at YouTube and saw any of the comments on YouTube, they're the most evil, vile people in the world because they don't have to put who they are. <laughs> it's just like a, a public profile that's not them. It's a, it's a handle. They can say whatever they want. And they can hide behind the, the veil of whatever it is on the internet. Where they never would have dreamed of saying anything like that in real life, or in, to, or in face-to-face. But because they've got this, this veil of secrecy through the internet, they'll say whatever they want. And I think that that, that entitles, that gives a sense of entitlement. And so I, I limit my kids' use. I mean, they go on, the only time they go on the internet is if I'm sitting right next to them. And they're 11. go on YouTube, I'm sitting right next to you. Or you show me what you're going to look at on YouTube and you can watch it, but I'm not going to sit there and let you watch whatever you want. And we limit screen time. And we limit video game time. Because a lot of that has to do with it. Technology is great, technology is wonderful, but I think it's also killing our society. really do. I'm trying to pull myself back a little bit hard because the best way I can get my podcast out there is letting people know about it but I think that in reality we're, we're just screwing ourselves as a country I fear for my kids that's for sure come on buddy Get can speed up I don't have to go 65 it's a little rainy it's alright so there's no solution to the gun violence thing if they try to take my guns they ain't taking my guns that's all I gotta say. I like my guns. Nobody's getting them. But um, I look at it. I do look at it the same way as the First Amendment. You know, I'm not trying to take away your speech. You can say whatever you want. I'm not trying to take that away. But you you know, it, 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 there is a Second Amendment right. It's a constitutional right. If the country thinks that we shouldn't have guns, then amend the Constitution legally. Instead of this incrementalism garbage that is typical of of our American government, where we just chip away at liberty, chip away at liberty, chip away at liberty. It's the same thing with the Patriot Act, and how it chipped away at liberty, and and your free association, and and it violates the Constitution a hundred different ways over. And yet, we don't even say anything about that. Because we don't know anything about it, because we want to be protected. We want comfort and protection and we'll give up liberty for that. I'm the other way around. I want my friggin' liberty. Leave my ass alone. I'll protect myself. I don't need your protection. If I enter into a bad deal with somebody, that's my own fault. I'll do better next time. Does that make sense? I'm trying to bring it back to NP World. If you make a bad deal with somebody, it's not their fault. They may may be jerks, and they took advantage of you, but whose fault is it? It's called caveat emptor. Buyer beware. You have a responsibility to take care of yourself. You have a responsibility to take care of your family. You have a responsibility to take care of your community. That's why I like to bring it back to that. As a nation, we can't really do a whole hell of a lot. I can't affect anything in Arizona or California. Very little can I do there. But in my local community, I could be a, a voice of reason, I could be a, a leader, I can, I can be a provider and help people. It's all great things. That's what I want you guys to do. I want you guys to kick ass in your community. I want you guys to be well known in your communities. When somebody says, I need a provider and I don't know who to go to, your name needs to be on the top of the list. I don't care if what your your designation is after your name. just so happens to benefit us that you're in peace. So kick ass, do good work guys, be safe out there, and we'll talk soon.